The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galina, and I'm joined each and every week by my co-host, Scott Chu. How's it going there, Scott? Doing great. Um, you know, went to a wedding last night, had a lot of fun. No one wanted to talk baseball with me, but I made it work. Uh, you know, got, got my way through it, checked my phone a little, hit the Discord, which y'all should join just to get a little bit of baseball in. Uh, but other than that, doing great. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I, I was mentioning to you that I, I knew you had a wedding on Saturday night. I said, hey, are you going to be able to record the podcast? Maybe you'll be, you know, a little hungover or whatnot. But you said, no, I'll be playing on my phone. So you you, you, know, you were one of those guys working the phone in the middle of the wedding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big party animal. <laughs> Me, you know, uh, everybody's favorite guy. No, I mean, I, I, I knew a couple people there. It was a wedding for my wife's friend. So one of mm-hmm. those kinds of weddings where only know a handful of people. And once they leave, you know, no one's looking for me. So I just can kind of yeah, hide yeah, off. Yeah. But it does sound like it, it was a fun night. Uh, and, uh, you know, speaking of fun, and, and just the other night, the Yanks were off on a Friday night, which is very unusual. So I turned on the Met game and watching this uh, Jacob de Gram work a masterpiece against Blake Snell, who continues to struggle. And I'll tell you, you talk about baseball being fun. This was a fun night to watch baseball, even though I'm not a Met fan. Uh, 33,000 fans at City Field. You could feel the electricity in the stadium coming through my TV screen. DeGrom was on fire, does his stuff that he always does. Unfortunately, left the game, and we found that later due to right flexor tendonitis. But uh, we later found out the MRI came up clean, and DeGrom's playing catch the next day, and he's expected to make his next scheduled start for the Mets on Wednesday. So the Mets dodged the bullet, but... You know, I'm a Yankee fan and, and not a big Met fan, but i got to give the Mets some credit here. In first place, despite all the injuries they've had to deal with, they've had well, Conforto and McNeil and J.D. Davis are out right now. Pete Alonso was on the I.L. Dominic Smith had missed some time. And uh, a lot of baseball left. But you know, talking about DeGrom, I mean, the guy has more RBI five than earned runs allowed this season so kudos to the Mets and you know fans were chanting MVP MVP what do you think about giving him the MVP are you one of these guys that are very much against giving a pitcher the league's MVP should it only go to 
an everyday player? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. I think that's ridiculous, right? Like mm-hmm. to me, the the MVP should be the person that you know was the most valuable, and I would be really hard pressed to suggest that anyone is more valuable to their team than Jacob Degrom. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. he only plays once every five days, but I mean, first of all, the Mets. I think a lot of people thought the Mets would have a chance to compete in this in this uh, NL East that's not you know overly strong, uh, and they are right. You know, thirty two and twenty four, but certainly not the way we expected. Mm-hmm. Right? We thought it'd be because Lindor was doing well, McNeil had come. It's not any of that stuff. You know, the only constant for the Mets really over the last four or five years is that mm-hmm. Jacob Degrom is really really good. Yes, and. I can't imagine any team, you know, the rest of the rotation has its, has its ups and downs to be sure, but I can't imagine any team feeling comfortable going against the Mets in a series because they have to face DeGrom twice. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I can't imagine anyone. I mean, it, what it reminds me of is, I mean, obviously his offense isn't as good, but back when JV won the MVP and should have won it twice, uh, that, I mean, that's what he was. You, you couldn't face this guy twice. Granted, mm-hmm. they had deep, you know, the team itself had, had better pieces and more rotation help, but when JV took the mound, it's like, oh, well, I mean, you can watch today if you want, but the Tigers are going to win, right? And like <laughs> the Mets don't always win, but it's like, you're not, you're watching DeGrom because he's great, not because you wonder what's going to happen. Right. He's going to pitch a bunch of really good innings. Right. Well, I, you know, just, I was taking, I guess, with all the negative stuff that's been coming out about baseball, you know, the lack of offense, the, the sticky stuff. Uh, and by, by the way, when you talk about lack of offense, you, you notice that the Reds hit five home runs on Friday night, and so did the Dodgers. You know, and then then you have you know players coming out, and you know Donaldson making accusations about Garrett Cole, and Cole being blindsided at that press conference where he was asked whether he used spider tack, and then you have Pete Alonso coming out making some pretty serious allegations uh, about uh, MLB and owners basically working together. He kind of insinuated that they're working together, you know trying to limit offense, you know, with that deadened ball or whatever, because there were a bunch of big hitters coming out and that are going to be free agents at the end of the season. But I just want to bring out the point that it was just a good night to watch baseball. It was what baseball is is about, you know, two great pitchers going at it, you know, then as you get to the end of the game, Closer Edwin Diaz comes in, running in for the bullpen uh, to his entrance music, Narco, and the fans just go nuts. It was just a fun night to watch baseball. It really was. And, you know, a couple things that come to mind. Number one, um, offense is coming back, right? Uh, it, weirdly enough, as we kind of always say, when the weather heats up, so do the hitters, right? So I can tell you that in the month of May, the league as a whole slugged 397, right? Not great. Mm-hmm. So far in June, as a league, they're slugging 418. That's a big jump yeah. for the league as a whole, mm-hmm. right? Like Agreed. they haven't raised their slugging to 14. That's just for the rest of it, like for this month. But it's it's a lot better. And, and the strikeout rate for the league, fairly high, but it's mm-hmm. 23.6%. I thought the guys on The Athletic did a really nice job talking about the whole sticky stuff thing and kind of saying like there might be a couple fantasy angles. They talked about guys struggling with high fastballs because high spin rate, high fastballs are a unique thing to try to hit because they don't drop the way they should. Uh, but otherwise, we can't do anything about it for fantasy, right? Other than guys who might specifically get suspensions, there's no real takeaway because we don't know who's using what, right? Right? Uh, did, they, did they add the spin rate because they changed something about how they throw that ball because they're focusing on it more? Is it because they also had spider tech? How much, I mean, there's some cool videos out there about how much 
stuff like spider tech can add like two to 300 RPM on a pitch uh, over like none and like, you know, about 150 to 250 more than sunscreen and rosin, which I don't think is ever going away. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think a lot of people have a problem with it. Right. Because it's, yeah, it does help stick, but a lot of it is too. Like you don't want balls slipping out of these guys' hands. Mm. And there's a lot of pitchers have said the ball has been slippier, slipperier. And the hitters will tell you like, Hey, if you need a little (laughs) bit of bullfrog and rosin to keep that thing from hitting me in the head, you know, (laughs) do it up. Rub on your arm before the pitch all you want. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I mean, I think it's a very interesting storyline for baseball. Mm -hmm. And again, the guys on the athletic did a really great comparison, not in terms of like the ethics side, but sort of a, from a fantasy angle, what can we do about it? PEDs. You didn't know who was using. You didn't know what would happen if they stopped using, right? Like let's pretend Garrett Cole is using spider tech and he stops using it. What, what then? What does he go from the second best pitcher to the sixth? Right. You know, you Darvish, what if he's using something? Well, what's going to happen? Oh, well, I guess he can't rely on the high fastball as much. He'll use one of his 13 other pitches, right? Like (laughs) it doesn't, it's really hard to do anything. So again, very interesting storyline. Um, you know, I, when I heard what Pete Alonzo said about how the league is adjusting it, I'm like, you know, uh, not a bad conspiracy theory. The one thing about conspiracy theories is if I thought baseball was that good at doing anything like that coordinated, that smart, um, I'd be a little more worried, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, I wonder if they actually could coordinate themselves well enough to do that. Yeah. I'm sure he's not the only, uh, ball player that thinks that way that, you know, the, the uh, MLB and the owners are, are working together and it's going to be an interesting off season too, with the uh, collective bargaining agreement. So we're setting up uh, to see in an interesting you know, uh, post here. Yeah. A lot of trust between both sides, right? Yeah, you can really yeah. feel the love. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, just moving on here, a couple of uh, injury updates on some big names, uh, Max Scherzer exited Friday start against the Giants after throwing just 12 pitches. Uh, tweaked his groin. MRI showed that there was inflammation but no muscle strain, and he's considered day-to-day. So uh, the Nationals lucked out on that one, and uh, if they were looking to move him, at least they, they know that uh, it's not a problem with his arm. And you saw how ticked off he was walking off the field. You just can't get him to come out of a game. And uh, you had mentioned uh, – prior to the start of the podcast and I had gotten the news unfortunately yesterday while watching the Yankee game they made the announcement that Luis Severino uh, was walked off the field in the middle of his rehab start on Saturday by the way we're recording this podcast Sunday June 13th it's uh, about midday so but if you watch the video of him being helped off the field does it does not look good he suffered uh, a right groin injury uh, and he's having an MRI done on Sunday today. So you'll probably know the results of that MRI by the time you listen to this podcast, but it did look pretty serious because, you know, he really needed to be helped off the field. And uh, the Yanks were hoping that he could rejoin the team later this month, meaning June or early July. And obviously now that looks like that's going to be delayed. Meanwhile, Chris Sale, uh, another superstar pitcher coming off of Tommy John surgery, threw off of the Fenway Park mound on Friday and looked good. Uh, Red Sox aren't confirming when he's going to be ready, but it's looking like he could join the team maybe late July, early August, barring any setbacks. And uh, in terms of Mets news, in terms of injuries, Noah Syndergaard, another guy coming back from Tommy John surgery, uh, suffered a bit of a setback last month, if you remember, uh, a little elbow discomfort. And the Mets on Friday, they said that uh, it looks like he might be able to return 
around September 1st. So right, right in the, the thick of things. Uh, hopefully the Mets will still be you know, challenging for the NLE's title or whatnot. And uh, oh, by the way, Carlos Carrasco still dealing uh, with a torn hamstring. Doesn't look like he's going to be able to return for the Mets until late July. He got a uh, platelet-rich plasma injection on Wednesday. So uh, just to recap, it looks like with Scherzer, Nationals dodged the bullet. Uh, with DeGrom, obviously, the Mets dodged the bullet, and we'll have to see what happens with Severino at this point. Yeah, and, you know, across all of these, number one, you know, the news about Severino could be a real bummer. What I do in my leagues when I'm looking at this, I see all these guys, you know, injuries. We don't have clean times as to when they're going to come back. You know, Scherzer, I'm going to kind of ignore for now because it could be nothing. Missing one or two starts for a guy his age. You kind of knew this was going to happen throughout the season. I don't think that's really actionable. But, you know, between Carrasco, Sales, Severino, Syndergaard, Look, a lot of us are in leagues that have limited IL spots. If you mm-hmm. have unlimited IL spots, you can just continue to stash these guys because it doesn't hurt you, right? You just keep them. But very, like, I mean, look, clearly a lot of leagues don't have that. You have limited IL spots. And you're going, if you're not already feeling the IL pinch, which if you aren't, count yourself lucky, holy cow. But if you are, to me, it's really hard to consider holding a pitcher that, you know, a starting pitcher in your IL that is going to throw less than 50 innings. So if, and essentially 50 innings, that's going to get you to about like sometime in, you know, late July, early August is around that cutoff. So like sale right now, if he comes back, you know, late July, I think he can throw 50 innings mm-hmm. early August. He could throw 50 innings, especially him. You know, they, they might baby him just a little, but I think 50 innings is there, right? Especially if they're still in contention. They need his arm. They mm-hmm. just need it. You know, Martin Perez cannot continue to be the ace of the staff uh, if they want to actually compete, right? So <laughs> I think he can throw 50 innings, and you'll want those 50 innings. Oh, yeah. uh, I think Carrasco easily throws 50 innings, right? I think he's probably looking more like 10 starts. Um, Severino, again, that's what I'm looking for. If they say, you know, he misses an extra month, I think you're in a tough spot, but I think he could still throw 50 innings. Mm-hmm. I think that if they start saying September, like we hear with Syndergaard, I can't hold that. I can't hold a guy for 25 to 30 innings. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. It's just not enough value. Again, if you have unlimited IL, that's great. Do it. If you don't, at some point, you're going to find a player that you'd rather stash than a guy who might throw, you know, 35 innings. Right. And that's not a lot of value. It's good value, like in the playoffs, but you got to get there first. Mm-hmm. Right. But- so that's kind of how I view all of it. So, you know, like, Sale, Carrasco, I'm still stashing those guys. Severino, I'm holding my breath. Mm-hmm. Syndergaard, I've probably already let go. In any league I had him, he's gone. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you said. There's also the slight chance, majority of pitchers that come back off a of TJ surgery do well, but then you have that you know small percentage that do have some issues when they come back, especially with their control, right? Uh, so... But look, I, I, what would you say? Maybe seventy-five percent of a Chris Sale uh, is is just as good as as a lot of the pitchers that you're probably rostering already. Yeah, and I mean the thing about a Chris Sale is when you're trying to project these guys out, these guys are sitting on your IL. One of the reasons we are willing to wait and hold a guy who might only throw fifty innings is because they might be fifty elite innings, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, control can be an issue. A command can be an issue when you come back from these surgeries. Velocity might be down a little bit, but like it's Chris Sale. Mm-hmm. We've seen him be one of the best pitchers in baseball. 
right? He has this kind of upside, so that's why you hold. Severino is all like he's tough because when we've seen him play, he's awfully good. We've seen him play so little, right? Like it's hard enough coming back from one surgeries. Then he's coming, you know, then he's coming back from a groin injury. He just that makes it really tough. So yes. when you start talking about, you know, 50 innings is going to be a tough cutoff for me, and it's probably going to be league dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm already kind of sitting in first or I'm I'm way ahead, which is not many of my leagues right now. Um, you know, if I'm doing that, then fine, sure, I'll hold him because I'm I'm playing for September. But if I'm playing to play for like if I'm if I'm playing to play for September, like I'm a step behind that, I'm on the outside looking in maybe, or I'm on the fringe. He becomes harder and harder to hold uh, every time he gets a setback. Every yeah. week has me reevaluating. Every mm-hmm. time they push it out a week, it's like, oh man, yeah. At what point? At what point do I have to go get something else? And again, league size matters, context matters, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cutting a guy is essentially, and I, I think there's a lot of people that feel this way. Cutting a guy isn't really just cutting a guy; it's trading him for someone on the waiver wire, sure. right? That's sort of the analysis. Like, right, would I trade this guy for the guy on the waiver wire? And at some point, you have to decide if, you know, in a shallower league, it's going to start getting harder and harder to justify holding him because there's mm-hmm. going to be a pitcher out there where you're like, I would trade him for a for a decent streamer, right? And a spot that I can keep moving. Or, you know, yep. hey, I've got another guy going on my IL. I need him, right? Uh, so now what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good analysis. And, uh, I guess we're going to have to just uh, wait and see. And uh, obviously, like you said, it also depends on the size of your league and, and your, your needs as well uh, as an individual fantasy baseball manager. But uh, so we're going to move on and we're going to try something a little different uh, with this podcast. You know, we always try to come up with interesting ways uh, about presenting uh, information to you. And uh, so we're going to be talking about some obviously fantasy baseball related topics that have been discussed on the Reddit fantasy baseball channel. Now you should take note that every Friday, Nick Pollock, our uh, fearless leader does a Reddit AMA and he answers all the pitcher questions and the way that he breaks down pitching, believe me, it's invaluable. Uh, So check it out. And uh, also uh, the uh, Reddit AMA, uh, the pitcher list Reddit AMA, you can also ask hitting-related questions, and the rest of the staff usually jumps in and answers those. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've got some here that we took uh, from that AMA and uh, some that, like I said, uh, just came across uh, in general in, in the Fantasy Baseball channel. So uh, we'll give it a shot. We'll start right now. Uh, who, who's a better stash at this point? This is a prospect-related, and we've spoken a lot about prospects over the past few weeks, but somebody asked, Who's a better stash at this point, Wander Franco or Vidal Bruhan? Obviously, top prospects for the Rays. Uh, in my opinion, the uh, Rays are in first place. Taylor Walls, uh, he's batting 214 in his first 19 games, but they did bat him, which I thought was a little weird. They batted him third on Saturday, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe they see a little something in him. Uh, like I said, they're in first place kind of dominating, uh, probably in no rush to call up either Franco or Bruhan, but uh, I'm sure that they have a plan because they're the Rays, right? Bruhan's been playing all over the place, second, third, short, outfield. Both of them look ready, but if I had a guess, I'd say that maybe it's Bruhan that gets called up first. I mean, like I said, it's the Rays. Who knows? They could just go up and trade low. I don't know how much they get for him. Uh, Lau, by the way. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> and then slip Bruhan at second. I don't know. What do you think? 
So first of all, these are both like top 25 prospects. And while I'm very big on saying it's really hard to stash more than one guy, this is a great decision to have to make. And I wouldn't be against someone stashing both of them, right? Like these are both the types of players that can make an impact. However, if you have to pick one, uh, it, it unfortunately wasn't very hard for me. It's Wander Franco. Wander Franco mm-hmm. can do everything Vidal Bruhan can do, except he mm-hmm. also has power, right? He can do, he can do more. The only thing, you know, Bruhan's more of a speed contact guy, a very good one. He's, he's a slick fielder too, and he could play sort of all over the diamond. That's great. But in terms of fantasy, I don't know what Bruhan can give me that Franco can't besides maybe some different or extra eligibility. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, Franco is just a better player because he's one of the best prospects we've seen in a long time. And it's weird because we keep saying that, right? There was, you know, the number of guys who have an 80, who have a arguably 80 hit, you know, 80 grade on the hit tool. It's been like Wander Franco and Vlad Guerrero Jr. And like nobody else, nobody, like we don't see this kind of hit tool often. Mm -hmm. And if there's one tool that I look for in young hitters coming up, right? Lots of guys have power. What's the hit tool? We see guys with hit tools become successful much faster, right? Because at least they can make contact. It's it's harder to send guys down when at least they're making contact. It might not mm-hmm. be great numbers, but they're you know they're not striking out all the time. I mean that's really the big problem with Joe Adele, right? It's that the hit the hit tool needs help. When he can actually get a hold of something, he can send it a long way, but he he doesn't have the hit tool, and he's struggling with that. But guys who I mean some of the, I know this is anecdotal, but some of the bigger surprises like uh, Jake Cronenworth. His value is defensive utility and hit tool. Mm-hmm. He didn't have much else, and he found a way to make it work. Ozzy Albies, when he came up, the power was a surprise. He was mostly a hit tool guy, but hit tool can convert into power uh, actually surprisingly easily, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know Ichiro always used to talk about this, but you know power is more about timing than it is anything else. Do you have to be big and strong? Yes. Does that help? Yes. It gives you a greater margin for error. You don't have to necessarily barrel it and hit a home run, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you probably will, but... You can fight off more stuff. You can take more pitches deep. But Ichiro used to hit a bunch of home runs. And granted, I know he's an all-time great, and I'm not trying to compare players to Ichiro. I'm just saying he was all hit tool, but he could hit home runs. Like in batting practice, he'd hit them like a, like he'd sort of go like around the world. He'd start yeah. with like the pole side and just go all the way around, hit one to like every section of the bleachers. It was amazing. And that's I think if he wanted tool. to, he could have been a power hitter, but I think he felt that he'd add more value as you know the the spray hitter that he ended up being. But I think there was one season where he hit like 22 home runs. Well, was there? Yeah. I mean, probably right. If, yeah, yeah. if you wanted to, right. So long story short, give me the, if I'm picking between two and they're both high level prospects, mm-hmm. give me the hit tool. And it helps that Franco's an Uber prospect who is sort of like a once every five years, we see a guy with this kind of upside, maybe 10, right. He's, he's going to be fantastic. Might not happen right away. Mm-hmm. But as we're seeing with Vlad Guerrero Jr., there's a reason we call these guys uber prospects, right? They have incredible upside. Vlad Jr., we knew had incredible upside. It just took a little time. He was good, and now he's great. Franco's going to be like that. I don't think there's any prospect I would rather stash than Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, Ichiro had uh, 15 home runs in the season. wasn't 22. But I agree with you in terms of Franco. But the reason why I said Bruhan, because I, I kind of th- get the feeling that maybe he might get called up first now if i had to compare both prospects i'd give the the nod to franco like you like like you said but you know these are the rays like i said they, they have a, a plan right i mean and like i said bruhan's been playing all over the place second third short outfield when franco comes up 
that's it. He's going to be the shortstop, right? And their hope is that they could just leave him there for 15 years and he'll have a Hall of Fame type of career. But uh, do you think that uh, Franco might get called up before Bruhan? Or, I mean, it's just, it's the race. It's so hard. Like, who thought that, that Walls was going to get called up when he when he was, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I will say Shelly was really into Walls. And while, you know, the hitting's not coming quite yet, that's the moment you mentioned and the moment I saw that he had hit third once, I'm like, Shelly was onto something. He does mm-hmm. hit at every level eventually. Mm-hmm. So maybe the Rays do it. I mean, they're the mad scientist Rays, right? We thought it was Joe Madden. We thought Joe mm-hmm. Madden was the mad scientist. It was the Rays. Mm-hmm. The Rays themselves. They're the mad scientists. For me to, it, you'd have to be able to tell me that you knew for sure Bruhan was going to play like, 30 to 50 more games in Franco mm-hmm. before I want Bruhan, right? Because I think Franco could do everything he brought Bruhan did in a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Again, a bit of a false choice, right? Like very interesting situation that you'd have to truly choose between the two. Yeah. But if you did, you'd have to, you'd have to really believe that Bruhan's going to play significantly more than Franco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, just to finish up the uh, prospects discussion uh, in case you uh, slept in for the past week. Jared Kellenick, the Uber prospect for the Mariners, was sent back down to AAA this week. Was batting 096 with a 193 slug. And, you know, it's been a, a tough year to kind of roster prospects, right? Twins outfielder Alex Kirilov was heating up and went on the IL. Overall numbers are decent. Uh, 254, 18 RBI in his first 33 games. And I'm confident that he's going to get better. And I think he's here to stay. I don't think that uh, there's any likelihood that the twins would send them down but a guy that not many people are into that i think he's starting to heat up and i'm going to feature him in my seven hitters to consider who are rostered in fewer than 15 percent of fantasy leagues trevor larnick outfielder for the twins he's been coming on a little bit so so take a look at him especially his uh, on base percentage numbers as well and the marlins called up lewin diaz uh, after they put Garrett Cooper on the IL and not Jesus Sanchez. And Sanchez has been killing it in AAA, but for some reason, uh, I guess they didn't feel he was ready. They uh, I really don't know. But, hey, what do I know? Because Diaz hit a home run on Saturday. But uh, Sanchez batting 349, nine home runs, 28 RBI in his first 33 games in AAA. Yeah, you know, I, I wondered that, too. I saw they called up Luis Diaz, and I dug around. I tried to find any reason why they might do this. And I really only thought of two, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say they're great. Number one, Lewin Diaz, a little bit older. Not a lot. He's a little bit older. About a year. Just short of a year older. Uh, so he's like 24 and a half. Lewin uh, and Jesus Sanchez is like 22, uh, 23 and a half. The other thing I thought of is Lewin Diaz actually has two options left. So mm-hmm. if they bring okay. him up just for you know the 10 days to two weeks and then have to send him back down, They'll still have another option in their back pocket. Mm-hmm. Jesus Sanchez only has one option left, right? So if they brought him up and sent him back down, they'd only have one. Like the next time they call him up, they've got to keep him long term, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if that's the reason. It's pure speculation. But yeah. it might just be that they don't expect this to be a long term stay, right? Yeah. It's really hard to say. But eventually, Sanchez is going to come up. He is a guy that's probably worth stashing if you don't have someone else to stash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kellenic, I might still be stashing too, except I'd be assuming it's a long-term thing. You know, the other thing that I have to talk about with Kellenic is they didn't just send him down because he's not doing well, right? Uh, and he, he hadn't been doing well for quite some time, right? This isn't like a short-term slump. It was a long slump, but they usually won't send a guy down unless there's something they think he needs to work on. And you can't just say hitting, right? You need to work on hitting. 
because <laughs> he'd been hitting in AAA and he mm-hmm. did it fine, hitting over 300 in AAA. But there might be something very specifically they want him to work on. Maybe he lost a bit of his, you know, his his swinging mechanics. Maybe he uh, was not picking up certain pitches properly, or he was doing it late. He was doing something. So that's when they said, "Okay, look, we can't keep putting you up here and put you in a position to fail. Let's send you back down and work on this specifically. And when we feel you're ready, we'll call you back up." Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know that that to me is probably what's going on there. And so you might consider holding him. I mean, you stashed him for the first, you know, you stashed him for a month before. I don't see why you can't do it again. I, right. I have no, the one thing I'll say is my projection or my, you know, long-term projection of Jared Kalanick did not change one bit. One month of major league at bats or whatever doesn't change my mind that he is a big time prospect with like very high ceiling long-term. None of that changed because he struggled for a month. And, you know, Shelly, who was on our show a couple weeks ago, yep. made a good point on Twitter that, like, we can't just compare every guy to Mike Trout, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Trout struggled at first. Well, one, he actually <laughs> didn't struggle as much as you might think. Right. Number two, not everyone is Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. But what we can say is that trust the scouting. The real story behind Trout struggling at first isn't that people who struggle at first can then be really great. Like, duh. It's more that trust the scouting. Mike Trout, the scouting, was fantastic. We thought he was very, 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 very good, Right. When he was coming up, it was actually this debate of him or Brett Lawry, which we all know how that turned out. But it was like, he's going to be great. We know that from the scouting. We wait. I mean, it's the same story with Vlad Guerrero. He hit well. He didn't do what we expected, right? Like Steamer projected him to win the freaking batting title or something. But it was like, look, mm-hmm. this guy, we've been watching him for a long time. He's got an amazing hit tool. He's going to make these adjustments. We don't know when, but he will. There's no doubt about it. And he was a little disappointing, little disappointing, little disappointing. And then boom, he is what he is right now. If you had trusted the scouting, you'd know that, right? Was he always worth the draft price? No. Frankly, he wasn't. Sometimes that draft price was too high. But long-term, if someone's like, do you think he'll ever be good? Yes, right? You still see it. There's a couple of you know, adjustments to be made. They come back, they'll do great. Um, but anyway, as far as Luis Diaz and Jesus Sanchez go, and I, the other thing I'll say is both these guys, Luis Diaz and Jesus Sanchez, they have major league at-bats already, and they're not good. Jesus Sanchez was up for a bit last year. It was horrible. Yes. Mm-hmm. horrible. Luis Diaz, he's been up. He's been horrible, right? So it's great they're hitting in AAA. I wonder, you know, I'm actually starting to trust the Marlins more and more. They certainly know about pitching, right? I'm trusting them more and more that there's a reason they're keeping some of these guys down. Maybe there's something that, you know, either it's this options thing or it's like we we just really don't want him to get exposed and ruin all the confidence he's built, right? There's a human side of baseball and it's a big part of call-ups. It's probably the one thing we don't talk about enough. They don't just call up the best guy unless it's cle- unless they're like, cle- he's clearly the best guy. No one could do even close to what he's doing. There's a very human element. They want these guys to succeed. Sure. They don't want to crush their confidence. Mm-hmm. And that was a scary thing with Kellenic. And now they have to make sure it doesn't ruin the guy. Mm-hmm. Same for yeah. Adele. Yeah, I was going to bring it up. Yeah, I agree. All right. So uh, another question that came out of the Reddit uh, fantasy baseball channel was on Tyler O'Neill and his prospect for the rest of the season. Now O'Neill batting 285, 15 home runs, 32 RBI, five stolen bases. Very nice numbers. But there's also some things that are glaring as terms of red flags for me. Just a three percent walk rate and still striking out at a high rate of just under 34%. Now, the the major projection models show him hitting 
oh, anywhere from eh, 15 to 24 home runs for the rest of the season with another, eh, you know, between five and seven stolen bases. But they all agree that he's going to lose about 30 to 40 points off of that batting average. Yeah, and they're probably right. You know, the, the batting average is just not something that's going to that's gonna stay particularly strong, right? Um, so, so far, he's been a top 20 outfielder, right, in, in standard leagues, right? I haven't quite run the numbers on what he'd look like in an OBP league. I'm actually going to do that while I'm talking here uh, just because I'm curious. But there's a couple – I mean, this guy's been real hot. I manage our going deep section, and one of the things people have to do is claim who they want to write about next. Tyler O'Neill's been claimed multiple times. He's gotten traded around because, you know, things come up for people. But um, people really want to write about this guy because he's been really good. The power numbers are unbelievable what this guy has in terms of the power department. And quite frankly, what I want to say is all of that is real. Everything you're seeing is real, the good Mm -hmm. and the bad. The good, you're seeing that power. The power, there's no questioning it. You know, you can go to StatCast, you can do whatever you want. This is the power that he has. This is the power that he's probably going to continue to have. He will have contact issues. What that means is that he's been very, very good so far, particularly in the batting average department. He'll slug 500 even when he slumps, right? Mm-hmm. Or darn close to it. Problem is the batting average and OBP will tank hard. That's okay. Because there's actually something else I see. He doesn't necessarily need great batting av- uh, bat skills right now in terms of like contact and understanding the zone. He can strike out 30% of the time, walk 3% of the time, and still be palatable, particularly in batting average leagues more so because he gets no OBP bump. I mean, he's he's like, I would rank him at least like 10 spots worse in an OBP league than I would batting average because of how bad it is. But what I like is that his quality of contact actually has changed. He's always had power. Don't get me wrong. But what is he doing when he's not hitting home runs? That's kind of the thing with a guy like Mm O'Neal. When you're striking out that much, you're never walking. You can't only have home runs. You, I mean, you won't hit because uh, he's not a 50 home run guy. He's like a 30 to 35. Mm-hmm. So what's he doing when he's not hitting home runs? Well, what he's done is change his sweet spot rate. So sweet spot rate is a, to me, a better version of launch angle. So when you look at launch angle, you have to remember that there's bad launch angles on both sides of the ideal launch angle. It's a, it's a spectrum where you don't just want the best. You want the middle, right? A guy with a 30 degree launch angle is popping out a lot. Where, and you know, a guy obviously with a zero degree launch angle is bearing it into the ground. Mm-hmm. That sweet spot rate is basically how often do they hit a launch angle that's in that ideal range? And he's jumped that up by like close to 10 percentage points hmm. uh, this season. And it's turning a lot of those things that used to be, I mean, he used to pop out, you know, 10 to 15% of the time. That's down to like 5% this season. He's converted those into hits that are in that sweet spot. So they have a much better chance of being hit. Pop-ups are almost never hits, right? They have to get to these weird spots in the outfield to be a hit. But when you hit it in the sweet spot, you have a much better chance. A lot of that sweet spot stuff, even if it's not hit hard, is the stuff that just kind of makes it way behind the second baseman or the shortstop and drops in for a single, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can miss and still get on base. He's got a lot more of that. So it's really going to help the batting average from completely falling out when, you know, eventually he does hit more of a slump. But yeah, I really like Tyler O'Neill. I think that, you know, right now it's hard, you know, especially with the bit of the speed he's got, I think he can get, you know, probably 10 stolen bases by the time the season's done. Mm-hmm. He's probably in my top 25 outfielders going forward, right? You know, especially due to injuries, projected playing time, things like that. 
I think he's a buy and hold and he'd have to have a very long, very rough slump before I was ready to let go. Cause the upside is just excellent. He could finish mm-hmm. the season 30, 10. No, no. Next question that came across. And I like this player comparison, Gavin Lux, who plays second base and shortstop for the Dodgers and Brandon Lau, who we've spoken about previously on this podcast, predominantly a second baseman, plays some outfield as well. I don't know. I guess, you know, Lau has been, <laughs> you know, he's hit for power, uh, 200 batting average, though, on the season in his first 60 games, 11 home runs, four stolen bases, has that 31.5% K rate, can't hit left-handed pitching to save his life, 0.076 batting average in uh uh, in uh, 66 at-bats against left-handed uh, pitching. And Lux also can't hit lefties either, batting 163 against them. But, you know, when it comes to Lux, at least I'm seeing some improvement in his game. Uh, you see his K rate has been dropping for the past three seasons, 29.3, 27.5, and 22.4. At the same time, low seems to be regressing a little bit. Yeah, so let's start with let's start with Brandon. It the one nice thing is they continue to let Lau lead off, right? They, they continue to do not every day anymore, of course. Right. But you know, I can tell you that over the course of the month, he's led off four times, I believe, you know, through Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then he also hit second, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh in the other games. So he's, he's turning it around a little bit. He's had a, a handful of multi-hit games so far this month. He's the kind of guy where uh, I'm actually considering him a trade target in a lot of leagues. And I wish it's because there was something hidden in the StatCast data that is really showing that he's making this turnaround, right? Uh, It's because I just believe in the talent. I do still think there's power in this bat. I think that he's much better than we've seen. I think that, you know, if you look at the rolling chart, and this is like one of the few things I can say, when you look at that rolling chart, one, you'll see that he's still walking as much as ever, right? So he's, it's not like the plate, it's not like the plate discipline's completely fallen out, mm-hmm. right? Um, what we've seen, though, is that he, he's not hitting the highs like he had before. He's not hitting new lows. That's not happening. That's always something to look for in a player that has a rough line like this. Is he hitting new lows? He's not, right? Lau is not hitting a new low, uh, but. Um, he's not hitting his like normal that. highs either. Everything's <laughs> been really muted, right? Mm-hmm. Just little ups and downs. I think that's going to change. I think he's got a dynamic power bat there, right? Uh, I think that you know this is a thirty home run guy. I mean, he's he can oh, put no up doubt. numbers. He can put up numbers very similar to Tyler O'Neill, but walking more, like walking three times more, mm-hmm. right? Uh, continues to lead off. They haven't buried him at the bottom of the lineup, so I'm really a fan. I love what Lux is doing too. Don't get me wrong. I don't want this to be like, oh, yeah, he's way better than Lux. I don't think the gap is as necess- is as big as I thought as it would be. I just think the ceiling for Lux for the rest of the season is a bit lower. It's hard hitting in the bottom of a National League lineup mm-hmm. in that it's hard to get a great rhythm. It's hard to score as many runs. It's hard to drive in as many guys. It's It's rough down there, and I love the growth we've seen. I love that, you know, because he was real rough. To start the season, uh, he only hit 179 in March in, or in April. Then in May, hit a lot better. He hit 286 in May, hit five home runs. This month has started a little slowly, right? Uh, but 
I think that we've seen a lot of nice improvements there, a lot of growth. I mean, even with the you know not great batting average, he's still he's still pretty good. I mean, a 102 WRC plus on the rest of the season, walking a lot more, which is what I love to see from guys who you know the hitting cools off a bit. What do I want them to start doing? I want them. I want to see them make adjustments. And he's walking right, 13 and a half percent walk rate on this season. I like what's going on there. All that said, I like Lux. The answer to me is Lau. His upside is just way, way higher. Mm-hmm. Not worried about him eventually being platooned, especially you know, let's say if they do call up a, a, a Bruhan or whatnot. You know, especially based on his inability to hit left-handed pitching. You know. If there was a team that would have already started platooning him by now, it'd be the race. <laughs> if they were going to do it, they'd have done it by now. Mm-hmm. He does, you know, he is their everyday second baseman. He is sort of versatile, right? He can, you know, they've played him at left field several times this season already. He can move around. I think they'll continue to find ways to get him in every day. I just think that maybe against some tougher lefties, they might move him down mm-hmm. if he's not turning it around. But Otherwise, I mean, and they're the Rays, right? So they move guys around all the time. Sure. They've had him. Now he's leading. It's funny. He's been struggling. So what do they have him do? Lead off, mm-hmm. right? They have him leading off instead of hitting. You know, he started the season hitting like third and fourth. Then he was hitting second for a little bit. And now he's leading off. And he's struggling, right? He's turning it around a little, but he was struggling. So like, oh, well, let's lead him off because they're the Rays and they're insane. But, you know, if they were going to platoon him, I think it would have happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm not particularly worried at this point. I'm actually more worried about Lux's playing time. Because mm-hmm. the Dodgers are kind of like the Rays, except it's because they just have so many players they could do it with. <laughs> yes. The Rays aren't necessarily super deep. They just don't care. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they'll mix and match all day. The Dodgers are just like, we have so many good players. What are we going to do? Right. Zach McKinstry's coming back. What do we do? So that's, that's a bit more problematic to me, if anything. Mm-hmm. All right. And it won't be a podcast unless we talk about a Detroit Tiger. T- talk to me about, Eric Haas, uh, they were asked about him uh, for rest of season. Now, Wilson Ramos and Grayson Griner, both on the IL. Uh, Haas, free-swinging power hitter. Uh, first 24 games of this season, 247, eight home run, 13 RBI. Has had, uh, I believe, three two-home run games. 35.9% K rate, breaking pitches, really give him a hard time. But uh, to me, it looks like the Tigers want to try to keep his bat in the lineup once uh, Griner and Ramos return because they've been uh, playing him a little bit in the outfield, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, and just uh, Badu, Daz Cameron, and Robbie Grossman started in the Tigers outfield on Saturday. And uh, like I said, 247 batting average, his expected batting average, 250. Yeah. Um, First of all, I have no idea what's going on. I have no (laughs) idea why this is happening. Uh, there's, there's no good reason for it. He is striking out a ton, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he hit uh, six home runs across like six games to start the month. Uh, absolute insanity. He has three, uh, yeah, three multiple home run games so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gotten to the point where he's batting fourth, fifth. Um, so, you know, as far as like rest of season projection, and maybe this is the time for me to do the rant I was warning you about. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not thinking about Eric Haas rest of season. I am thinking about like, what do you know? What do I think he could be? But I'm thinking about it more short term because quite frankly, as much as I want to say, this guy's, you know, going to be a catcher. You start every day, which you do right now. Let's let me, let's get one thing out of the way right now. Absolutely. If you've picked up Haas, you start him every day. 
Yeah. Because catchers don't hit fourth and fifth. And when you mm-hmm. get one that does, you keep starting them until they don't anymore. He's a blessing right? in two catcher leagues, too, especially. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you keep doing that. I mean, like they like Jake Rogers as like a as a defender. He's a very strong defensive catcher. He's got a lot of good instincts back there. Um, and, you know, Haas is nice because he's actually not catching very much. He's mm-hmm. playing the outfield. Uh, so, again, catcher plays every day, you know, sort of the Sal Perez effect, except not good. Right. Uh, not nearly as good as Sal Perez, but playing every day. Here's the thing. Again, I don't care about his rest of season projection because I don't think anyone who's rostering Eric Haas right now expects to keep him on their roster the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I think the more valuable thing to do, which is very similar to how Nick talks about streamers in Toby's, right? You're thinking about him for the next one to three series, right? That's what you're trying to do. You're not thinking like, oh, well, Haas rest of season, I project for, you know, seven to 10 home runs. And this other guy, I project for like six to nine home runs. Like, who cares, right? Um, Because Haas is a streamer. Like in a two-catcher league, you might be rostering the rest of the season. But quite frankly, you're doing that because who the heck else are you going to pick up, right? Like, who are the other catchers out there? You're you're picking up any, if you need a catcher in two uh, two catcher leagues, you're picking up anyone who plays. Mm. You don't really care. In single catcher leagues, Haas is not a long-term asset. So don't try to compare him as such, right? Don't think about just long-term projections for a guy like him. For a guy like Lau and Lux, that's what you do because these are guys that you intend to keep the full season. Eric Haas, you don't. Think about him for the next series, the next two series, right? Compare him, you know, when you're looking at the wire, pull up the schedule, right? Like a lot of of us pull up the stats, right? Like, oh, this is how he's been the last 14 days. That's cool. That's a great way to limit the number of people that you look at because we're human beings. We can only think about so many players at one time. Our brains cannot compare 16 players at once. Not possible. We need to limit it. But after you limit it to a handful of guys, pull up the schedule. Who are they playing? Where are they playing? Right? That's a huge tiebreaker when you're talking about streamers. It's the same thing you do for streaming pitchers, right? Like, you don't just think who's the best pitcher. You think, who do they play? Mm-hmm. Who's the opponent? We need to do the same thing for hitters, especially when we stream them, right? Like, if you're streaming some brewers right now, it's working out great because they have a really soft schedule right now. Very hitter-friendly, right? Uh, other teams don't, right? Like, if a, if a guy, if you're comparing two guys that are sort of similar in terms of like, okay, these are both like, you know, they're going to be my last outfielder for the next week, but one of them plays the Dodgers and Padres, and one of them plays like the Rockies and, you know, the Diamondbacks or something. The, the choice is clear. Mm-hmm. Even if the one guy's maybe a little better, if neither of them are long-term assets, guys you're going to hold for greater than a month, comp- look at those like next two, those next two series and think, which would I rather have, right? There's been times where um, I was about to pick one guy and then realized that, you know, I wanted them both for this week, but one of them was only playing five games and the other was playing seven. And in a week, you know, in a head-to-head league, that makes a huge difference. Sure. That's not unlike a two-start guy versus a one-start guy. And what I want to really reinforce here is, you know, I'd continue starting Haas. I actually don't know the title. Actually, I do know the Tiger schedule. I have a magnet right here. Uh, <laughs> I can I can probably take a look. So it's June. Uh, so they're going, um, they're going on a road trip. They're getting Kansas City and L.A. Well, that doesn't scare me all that much, mm-hmm. right? So I'm probably going to continue to roll Haas out there. Right. Um, in fact, the schedule is pretty soft for a while. They're not facing a lot of tough pitching. I mean, other than, you know, they'll get Houston, Cleveland later this month, 
But then it's White Sox, Rangers, Twins, All-Star break, Twins, Texas, Kansas City, Twins, Baltimore. You might be on your roster for a little while uh, unless he really cools off. But that's what you got to do. Look at that schedule. Look at who they play. When you're streaming catchers, I used to write that article uh, from time to time. Dave Sherman used to write it. Uh, We have this article about streaming catchers. We'll tell you, we'd look at guys who are hot, but the first thing you're looking at is who's got the soft opponents? Who's got a nice, you know, who's got a nice layup week? Oh, hey, look, this guy's not that good, but he's hitting okay, and he's going to Colorado, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's the kind of stuff you should do. Uh, Colorado's got a home series coming up, right? So that's going to move a couple of those guys up my board on deeper leagues, like a Jonathan Daza. Not because I think he's a great player long-term, but he's hitting okay right now. He's getting yeah. on base, and he's going to have a home, like he's going to have a seven-game homestand. Mm-hmm. I want that more than anything in the world, right? Um, you know, like I, I'm I'm in a fifth or a twelve team league, and uh, Josh Fuentes keeps sitting on my roster. He had this crazy hot streak a couple weeks ago. We talked about him. I said he's just a guy. Uh, he's like a platoon guy that you really only want to start at home. But I haven't been able to pick up a lot of guys to sort of replace him. And he's got a homestand coming up. So guess what? He's staying on the roster because mm-hmm. I want to start him. Eventually, I'm going to cut him because someone's going to come up that's better. But every time I'm like getting close to cutting him, I'm like, oh, look, it's another seven game homestand. <laughs> come on back, buddy. Come over here. Yeah. Get over here. Sit next to me and we'll use you for that. That homestand. Long rant. Come back home. Please, please, please. <laughs> like, I'm not saying don't ask, like, who's you know, what's the what's the long term projection? Because I think it's important to say that Haas does not necessarily project as a long term, very useful catcher. He looks like a power catcher who should be hitting like 210. Right. And we got a bunch of those. We got a bunch of catchers who can like hit, you know, five to seven home runs every 50 games, right? Uh, over the course of a full season. It's not unlike like a, you know, back when he was okay, Martin Maldonado is a guy like that. Jason Castro is a guy like that. There's a whole bunch of them I could rattle off. These high, I mean, he's not quite a Mike Zanino type, although he does strike out a whole lot. But he's also kind of a Mike Zanino type, right? Where they get mm-hmm. hot, you roster them, and eventually they go on this cold stretch. And you find somebody else. So we'll continue doing this like rest of season. Who do you like more? Because I do think it's important. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to your specific team, your specific league, you're trying to make the decision. Don't be like, oh, well, this guy will be better rest of season unless you actually plan to keep him for the rest of the season. If you're looking for someone to fill in now, look for who's going to help you more now. The schedule is a huge way to do that. Way more so than the stats for the last 14 days or whatever, right? More than the 15, like the 15 day player rate, the schedule coming up. That's what I really want to see. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And guess what? We Well, before I move on, Max Stassi, keep an eye on him, because since coming off the IL, I think he was on the IL due to concussion for almost a month. But since he's off uh, the IL, he has been on fire. So uh, catch a very shallow position. So keep an eye on him. And I was going to say, guess what we have next? Another rest of season comparison. But I think I think this one's a, a real good one. And the person who probably asked about it, I've got to presume that they are considering making a trade offer for either one of these guys because uh, uh, these aren't streamers. These are solid uh, fantasy performers. But Bo Bichette or Trevor Story, uh, rest of season. Now, when you look at uh, Bat X as uh, that's one of the uh, projection models, their rest of season number is very close. 17 home runs and 14 stolen bases for Story. 17 home runs and nine stolen bases for Bichette. Uh, Bichette has a 271 batting average, 12 homers, 
seven stolen bases on the season. Trevor Story has been slumping a bit, and we spoke about it a few weeks ago. 247 batting average, only five home runs, uh, 23 RBI, and eight stolen bases. Has uh, has been injured. Uh, I think he had a, an elbow issue and also had a little finger issue because he got hit uh, by a pitch or something. But who would you prefer rest of season, Trevor Story or Bo Bichette? So let's, you know, get one thing out of the way. We are splitting hairs here, right? We're talking about two top five shortstops yeah. the rest of the way. Uh, so you can't go wrong with either one. I think if you choose Story, it's because you think he's going to make up for lost time. Uh, he's only got, you know, only five home runs so far in the season, eight stolen bases. I, I mean, I think both these guys are capable of going 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases the rest of the way. Right. Um, I also think that both of them will hit. Okay. I think Boba maybe hits for like 10 points of better average. Uh, the big difference here is going to be obviously one, Bichette's supporting cast is a whole lot better. Hmm. Uh, they have very similar play discipline numbers, so I don't think there's any real difference there. But um, if you told me one of these guys hit 20 home runs the rest of the way instead of 15, um, I you know I bet dollars to donuts that it's Story. Right? I, I think there is more power there for Story than there is for Bichette. Um, home stadium's a bit of a wash, right? Um, you know anything that Coors Buffett. is better at than Dunedin or whatever. Um, yeah. sort of well, well, now by... they're playing in Buffalo, which is like a little. Oh yeah, Buffalo. Yeah, the Blue Jays, right? Yes. Yeah. So still, <laughs> um, it's you know any any difference in home stadium there is probably made a bit of a wash in that number one. It's a lot harder to go from Colorado to other places, as we've talked about many times, because of the air density and the way pitches move. That doesn't happen in Buffalo. It's just small, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and the other thing is that, like again, supporting cast makes a big difference. Trevor Story's like that whole offense. Uh, and it's not much of an offense, whereas Boba Chet is just one piece of that puzzle. Like, it, a very good piece, but just one piece. He's mm-hmm. not the superstar on that team right now. It's uh, That's Vlad Guerrero Jr. So, uh, I, I would, I think, personally, it's Bichette, but it's so close that if someone made the trade, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. I totally get because there's plenty of narratives that you can go down for this, right? Plenty. Um, both of these are guys who who could finish the season with close to 30 home runs and 15 to 20 stolen bases, right? Like that's, that's what both these guys are. The difference is that story might is a little more of a sure thing because he's done that before. Right. And we've never actually seen Bichette play more than uh, like 50. Yeah, I think, you know, he's already played more games in the majors this season than he did in either of the previous two seasons. Right. So, uh, we might see some adjustments there. Maybe you see something that you're not crazy about, which would be ridiculous. But if you make the trade, I get it because you think Story has more upside. That mm-hmm. said, um, I- I'd probably rather have Bichette. And, you know, I- yeah, long story short, yeah. Bichette rest of season. But if you want to argue with me about it, I probably won't fight you. Like, I probably right, won't right. really care. Because I'd rather have Story. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about guys that are maybe difference in value by like a dollar. And if you want to be a little bit more conservative, I agree with you. Go with Bichette because although I think there was an MRI done or some kind of x-ray done on Story's elbow and no structural damage was revealed, you know, if you're trading for a player, why not trade for the one that doesn't have the little lingering injury issue? And, uh, you know, and, and who knows? You You brought up a good point. I mean, you might as well, like yesterday, I think Blackman sat. And basically, you might as well 
put a big target on Story because he is. I mean, they have some other pieces in their lineup. The Rockies do, but none like Story. I mean, if you're going to focus in on on someone in that lineup, it's going to be Story. But um, moving on, uh, there was another rest of season question, and it's uh, Brian Reynolds or Patrick Wisdom. Now, first of all, let's note that Reynolds is an outfielder, and Wisdom has played third base, except for one game this season, played uh, right field. Uh, my guess is that the person who asked this question is probably rostered Reynolds all season and sees a shiny new toy and Patrick Wisdom and wants to get in on the fun, you know, kind of like a, a FOMO kind of deal. Uh, because, uh, yeah, you know, in the end, playing fantasy sports is about having fun and getting the new shiny toy. But look, Reynolds, some people might look at him as boring and, and Wisdom as the new toy. Reynolds first 61 games. 288 batting average, 10 homers, 31 RBI. And at that pace, you're thinking maybe 25 homer, 75 RBI season. And Patrick Wisdom hit the ground running this season. Eight home runs in his first 18 games, batting 347, aggressive. And again, a little bit of a red flag, maybe overly aggressive. 35.8 K rate thus far, whiff rate of 38 or higher on fastballs, off-speed pitches, and breaking pitches. Yeah, and let's, you know, one thing, Brian Reynolds might be a little boring, but let's not ignore the fact that he's been awfully good this season. Yeah, no, I, so, I agree with uh, you. He's he's hitting the ball really well. He's walking a bit more than he has in the past. Uh, Reynolds doesn't have a ton of power, mm-hmm. but, you know, so far in the season, he's been like a top 20 outfielder in terms mm-hmm. of performance. He's batting in the middle of a admittedly weak Pittsburgh Pirates lineup, but he continues to put in hits like every, you know, basically feels like every day. He gets at least one hit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's really turned the power on over the last two weeks, right? So he's got six home runs in his own right since May 27th. So he's really turned it on. He's walking a lot more. Uh, he's striking out less. He had a rough sophomore season last year uh, when after we saw him break out in 2019, where in 134 games, he hit 16 home runs. But really the big thing was like he had this 314 batting average. And I think that going forward, right, he hit 189 last year, which is really, really rough, right? But I think that with Reynolds, you're getting a guy who I think is much more likely to stay on your roster for the rest of the season than Patrick Wisdom. Wisdom is a guy who obviously is showing a lot of power and is fun to play when he's hot, but when he's not, he's like an absolute tank, right? Like he's just going to drag you down. I do think he'll start walking more at some point. He walked more in the minors. Um, he actually has a pretty good idea of the strike zone and he, he does take counts pretty deep, but um, you know, when he, when he falls behind, he does swing hard and that makes it tough. It's going to be hard. I think to have sustainable success that way. Uh, I think that he's going to have a very up and down season. I think when all is said and done uh, that batting average is going to drop by like a hundred points kind of thing mm-hmm. um which i mean i'm not going crazy on a limb there right it's 347 he's yeah. probably more like a you know he's probably rest away gonna hit like 210 220 but reynolds is a really really solid piece here i think that he can continue to hit you know north of 270 you know, some of the projection models are really kind of sour on his batting average i think because of what we saw in 2020 um I, i'm willing to put that away because when the season started, I was like, all right, which Reynolds do we see? Do we see the one that struggled in 2020 or do we see one that looks a lot like 2019? And it looks a lot like 2019, right? He kept some of the walk rate gains and continues to improve it. He brought the strikeout rate back down, right? Last year it was 
20.4%. This year, it's 20.9%. Uh, you know, give me Reynolds. I think this is a top 40 outfielder. You know, the power's not that exciting. I, I you know, I bet against 25 home runs mm-hmm. by the time the season's over, right? Probably something more like 20 uh, when it's all, you know, when it's done. But also a 280 batting average, I think. Sounds about mm-hmm. right. You know, that's yeah. actually his career batting average is 282, even with you know, all, you know, 55 games last season of hitting 189, Mm -hmm. So I think that he is a, you know, sort of a true talent, 280 kind of guy. There's enough power there to be useful and he's really consistent. And I like that. So, you know, wisdom is a pure streamer. I think in like a 10 team league with only like three or four outfielders, I guess you could sort of make the argument that you can cut Reynolds to pick up wisdom and just keep riding and streaming because Reynolds rest of season while better than Patrick wisdom might not be better than what you can stream there. Mm-hmm. But once you start getting to like, you know, a league that, you know, across all managers, you're rostering like 50 to 60 outfielders. Um, at that point, it starts becoming really hard to think that you can stream better than Brian Reynolds. Mm. Yeah. And when I called him boring, uh, it was almost like a, a compliment, you know, I didn't mean to, it's just that he does, everything fairly well, you know? So, but, uh, you know, I like your analysis there. Uh, so we're running uh, a little late, basically. We're just about an hour into the podcast. So uh, let's try to do these rankings here where someone asked if we could rank Jesse Winker, Austin Meadows, Starley Marte, and Byron Buxton. Yeah, so this one's really tough. Because I am trying to figure out how I rank Jesse Winker the rest of the season. Like, is he a top 10 outfielder? Like, I definitely think he's top 20. I definitely Mm -hmm. think he's top 15 at this point. Is he top 10? Uh, And the reason I ask is because, you know, I don't think any of these other guys are top 10. And the fact that I would consider Jesse Winker top 10 rest of the season means I'm probably picking him, right? So for Mm -hmm. me, I'll, I'll go through it really quick. It's probably Winker, Starling Marte. Byron Buxton, Austin Meadows. Mm-hmm. That's the order I do it. And that's a little disrespectful to Byron Buxton, I think, because he's the other guy that could potentially be a top 10 outfielder the rest of the way. I just distrust the health so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he has 50 to 60 fewer at-bats than these other guys. Like, I think projections are actually too rosy on how much Buxton will play. I, extreme distrust. I would... I would consider it like if you really wanted to argue with me that you'd rather have Buxton over Marte, fine. I assume it's because you believe in the health more than I do. So I think those two are close, but it's definitely Winker. Then it's for me, Marte Buxton. Uh, but I get it if you want to argue um, and say it's it should be Buxton Marte and then Meadows. But mm-hmm. I also think Meadows is like a top 25, 30 outfielder rest of the way. These guys are all really good, obviously. Yes. But yeah, so that's where I go. Jesse Winker, because I think he's borderline top 10. Then it's Starling Marte for me, because I really like what he's able to do. I like the stolen bases. And while health isn't great for him, it's certainly better than Byron Buxton. Then Byron Buxton, basically, if you told me he was going to play as much, he'd be second. And then Austin Meadows, because he kind of has like a little bit of all the problems, Mm. right? Like he's a little less durable and he's a little more prone to slumps than the other guys. I love Jesse Winker. He's saving one of my fantasy teams. But I looked at this a little bit differently in terms of, you know, in terms of trying to give value to guys that could give you five tool production. So, you know, like Marte, 
overall, I mean, I think I'd, I'd rather have Winker, but Marte has has plenty of value because he could hit for power and also give you stolen bases. And I agree with you with when it comes to Buxton. Man, what he's done so far this season is amazing, but just can't stay healthy. So uh, I, I'm with you on there. But um, I kind of like to have someone who could give me the five two production. And I guess the best way to answer this would be to take a look at the roster of the person asking the question, see what they're what they're lacking. But uh, we have an- another question about ranking uh, outfielders rest of the season. Justin Upton, Adolis Garcia, Mike Yastrzemski, and Anthony Santander. Yeah, this one's actually harder because we start getting into, you know, so those guys we talked about before, they're all top 30 outfielders for me. Mm -hmm. So it's a little easier to talk about like what I think they can be. After that, you start getting, it starts getting a little more difficult. So the guy I rank at the top there, the one who I think is definitely a top 30 outfielder going forward, that's Justin Upton. Uh, especially with him like leading off. I- I'm really surprised at how well he's done. I think that his upside is the highest, especially, you know, after trout comes back, I think he could be very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it- it's, it's probably that for me to start. Um, then ugh, I really like kind of hedged here. I want to say it's yes. So yeah, I'll do that. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I-, I, I'm, you know, I'm still arguing with myself. Let's go <laughs> Santander. Oh. Let, let's go Santander, Yaz, Garcia. Um, mm. And it's it's close, right? Like these are all mostly power guys. Like really this whole list is power guys. Mm-hmm. And they have these tendencies to be streaky. They have tendencies to come like sort of in and out of relevance at times. Uh, but, you know, I think, Gar- I think Adoles Garcia being last was the easiest call because he's obviously the biggest wild card. Like all these guys have 30 plus home run potential. Adoles mm-hmm. Garcia is the one who I think is going to struggle the most. He's got the toughest home ballpark of these guys, arguably. Yaz's is pretty tough too, but he's got the toughest home ballpark and he's the youngest. He's got the least experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going to be difficult for him is he's going to have more adjustment periods that I think these other players won't have to deal with. Uh, I- I'm picking Santander over Yastrzemski because Santander is definitely a big power guy and I know he's locked into the middle of that lineup when he plays. Uh, Yaz is too, but that like they kind of move stuff around a little more um and i guess i'd say you know i like santander's home ballpark a lot better for power sure, and i'm yeah. really looking at these guys for all power mm-hmm. camden yards and you know the bay are, are just sort of opposites in terms of where it's easy to hit for power and where it isn't uh with camden yards being a great place to hit so they're really close again one of these things where if you really wanted to argue with me like i rank both these guys between like 35 and 45 probably Mm-hmm. So like you want to move him around, fine, whatever. Same tier. Give me Santander. If you already have Yaz, I wouldn't be like, you should trade Yaz for Santander. I'd keep what you got. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then of course, Upton on top, he's leading off. He's, uh, you know, he's not on the best team. <laughs> That's Yaz somehow, but uh, he's on the best team, but he's doing the coolest stuff, right? He's mm-hmm. leading off, which is really weird for a guy with his profile. Right. Like you just don't see a player like him leading off. But the fact is, because David Fletcher couldn't do what they needed him to do, like he was their prototypical leadoff hitter, this slappy, uh, somewhat fast little guy that they had bad first. He struggled. So they had to find something else. So they bring in Justin Upton and, you know, he just really changed what he was doing as a leadoff hitter. I think 
he's what he's doing as a leadoff hitter is everything that the Cubs wanted Schwarber to do mm. as a leadoff hitter that he couldn't. Right? right, he really wasn't able to make this adjustment. But what's happened is his walk rate since he started leaving leading off on May 23rd, Justin Upton's walk rate is 18.4 percent, mm-hmm. and his strikeout rate is only 25 percent. Right, he has six home runs in that time. He's hitting 311, 434, 689. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to hit it that hard. I think the strikeout rate might jump up a little. The walk rate might drop down a little. But you know, if if it's more of like a 13% walk rate and like a 27% strikeout rate, that's still great. That, mm-hmm. that to me is just you know, a lot better what these other guys are doing. I do think there's obviously more durability concerns with Upton, but man, he le- he's leading off. He's leading off and he's doing great at it. He's hitting better. He's doing everything better. So it's just been such a drastic change. It's it's starting to get to the point where I wonder if, if he plays the rest of the season, I think he hits 35 home runs. The batting average won't be great, but it'll get a lot better, right? I think he could hit 240, 250 the rest of the way. The OBP is going to be a lot better. I, I love this change in walk rate, and mm-hmm. I think it's a real approach change. It's not a fluke. He's hitting differently as a leadoff guy, and it's very exciting to me. Yeah, Batterex has him for 22 more home runs rest of the season. So what you just predicted, uh, it seems that Batterex – uh, projections do agree with. And uh, uh, just two real quick ones. Anthony Rendon was the 2019 season where he hit 34 home runs and 126 RBI. An outlier? Mm, no. Mm. Uh, well, sort of. L- listen to me being so like assertive with my, with my beliefs, right? Um, you know, I'm not saying it's a complete outlier. It will be to some degree. I think that, you know, he obviously had a rough start to the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that he's going to turn it around and be the Rizzo that we expect in the final numbers will look like they did before. But I think if he got to have a mulligan for one month and just be an average, like his, you know, an average guy, or maybe like not quite as bad, mm-hmm. he could definitely push for like 25 to 30, right? You know, so he mostly had been like a 20 to 25. Yep. 25 was like the peak. And then he hit that 34. I do think there's probably a little more like, 25 to 30 in there if he really wants to have that but you know it won't happen this season obviously because he just got off to too slow of a start it it's going to look like when the season is over it's still going to look like an outlier because it'll be a good 10 home runs more than he'd ever hit before but when we go into 2022 i'm not going to be like oh it's only going to be 20 to 25 like that's probably where the projection will fall to be safe i still think there's 30 home run upside there mm-hmm. and I'll give you one last one. Rest of the season, Schwarber, Grossman, pick one. Uh, <laughs> fully Dad, needs to be a homer. Uh, yeah. Pick, Hedging, pick a tiger. <laughs> um, you know, why not Grossman? I, what I'll say is I'm not necessarily going to pick Grossman. I'm going to say I don't really care about rest of the season because neither of these guys in most leagues are going to be rest of season guys. But give me Grossman. At least he leads off uh, and he's had these hot stretches like Schwarber is what he's always been, except a little worse right now, right? Like, I just, there's nothing really terribly exciting there for me with Schwarber. At least Grossman has shown that, like, sometimes he'll steal bases. Obviously, the Tigers have gotten back to being more of an average team, so they don't need him to steal the way he was during that crazy losing streak. But if they go on another crazy losing streak, they'll send him. They'll let him go, right? Um, I wonder what, you know, if you're rostering Schwarber in a league, I sort of, like, wonder why at this point. <laughs> Right, like, yeah, he does have ten play in runs, an eighteen right? team league. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, he'll he'll get to his, you know, he'll get to his thirty home runs because he's going to have a hot streak here and there. And like, as you see him hit maybe like 
one home run or like he hits like two home runs in the course of four days. That's when I'm like, well, you know, I'll pick him up. I'll stream him for a little till it dries out or he's got like some really nice matchups coming. You know, he's uh he's going to some weak opponents, but he's he's the essence of a streamer to me uh, in 12 team leagues. There's just no reason to hold on to him. And Grossman is too, but I have more use for Grossman probably. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. Great stuff from Scott. We covered a lot today and I uh, hope you uh, enjoyed it. I hope you were entertained. Thanks for uh, listening. And uh, our goal is to entertain you. So uh, follow me at Joe Galena. Follow Scott at If the Chew Fits. Follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL and follow at Pitcher List Pods. And you'll be informed anytime a new episode drops for any one of the great podcasts on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Subscribe to Hacks and Jacks on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review if you will, please. And uh, as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. <laughs>